morning and welcome to the Recovery from Politics podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Frame, and today is Thursday, November 12th, 2020, episode four. So lately we've been talking about liberals versus conservatives and also, um, you know, Trump supporters and the bubble that they live in. But really, I think the story for today, which has some resonance in the news lately, is the left versus itself. Now, I've noticed this uh, both anecdotally on social media and also it's being printed in the news lately. <clears throat> so Biden wins. Biden wins historically. Biden wins, wins with more votes than anybody who's ever run for president in the history of the United States. You would think this would be cause for celebration amongst Democrats and the people of the left, but not so much. Biden was never their first choice. Biden wasn't their second choice. In fact, there were a few people on the far left uh, who abdicated who advocated that Joe Biden actually run for president as a Republican against the incumbent Donald Trump because they view him and his centrism as completely polar opposites to what they believe, which I find crazy. Um, I, I think that's just nuts. Uh, this reminds me a lot of the Tea Party back in 2009, 2010, when they would look at normal rank-and-file Republicans and immediately deem them all traitors for daring to work with the Obama administration on health care or tax cuts or anything, even if it was a policy that the right and Republicans typically agree with. You know, if you dare come out, you're screwed. I remember a, a dagger in the knife of Chris Christie's campaign for president here in 2016 was the fact that in 2012, there was Hurricane Sandy coming through New Jersey, and it tore up his state. And the president in the middle of the campaign, this was President Obama, uh, offered to come to New Jersey, uh, say the damage, and uh, take a look at things, and, you know, do what presidents do, uh, bring attention to a crisis. And Chris Christie said, yes, yeah, let's do that. Um, and the right at the time went completely ballistic against Chris Christie, saying that he was a traitor to the party and everything because he gave President Obama this photo op of him doing good. And it was like, to me, it was crazy. To me, actually, it made me a fan of Chris Christie. Now, I learned a lot more about him afterwards, but if that was your first impression of Chris Christie, I could give everyone a pass for thinking, wow, here's a guy who said, politics be damned. I'm going to do what's best for the people in my state. And what's best for the people in my state is having the most recognizable person on the planet, which is the president of the United States, visiting my state, seeing the damage for themselves, and then, you know, hopefully give a speech or something, or maybe twist some arms to get some funding to my state to help repair this damage. You know, that seemed like a very practical solution to a horrific problem. So for five minutes there, I was on board the Chris Christie train for 2016. I was like, hell yeah, sure. Of course, the more you learn about him, the more you <laughs> wrinkles appear, uh, the longer you look at a politician. But of course, I mean, it, it was a perfectly reasonable thing to do. And it, I still think it is a positive on his overall ledger uh, that he was willing to put politics aside and do that. But the Republican Party, the Tea Party in particular, uh, made him persona non grata. And then, you know, in 2016, when he tries to run, he 
barely got anywhere. And nowadays he has to settle for following Trump along, hoping for some scraps. Uh, that's the best he can hope for uh, within this party. And I think he knows that. I think take the blowback from him changed him a little. I think if he had emerged from that situation stronger, he probably wouldn't have followed Trump around as much as he did. But anyway, the current iteration of the left reminds me a lot of the Tea Party because they see people on their own side as the enemy. Okay. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who I am a fan of, I, I think she's actually very smart and does her job as a representative very well. Um, I always tell people who seem to really hate her, like like it's a vehement burning rage. They just seem to dislike everything about her. Uh, I always encourage those people. I'm like, look, uh, don't watch video. Don't listen to audio. Go find a transcript of her questioning a witness during a house hearing. And you will find out that she's actually very good at her job. Her and the rest of the squad, Ilan Omar, Katie Porter, uh, Ayanna Presley, I think that's it, Anna Presley, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, regardless of what you think of them, if you listen or if you can listen non-biased or if you read a transcript of their job during a house panel, I mean, good Lord, they are fantastic at what they do. And that's, I think, one of the reasons they're on TV more often than not is because obviously when you have a good day at work in Congress, uh, all the major networks want to talk to you that night. So they get brought on a lot to talk to a national audience when in reality, these are just a couple House members in typically pretty safe seats. Um, some of them might be a little harder than others, but you know they're 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 pretty safe. I mean, uh, AOC Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, uh, she lives and represents a state or a district where the Democrat always wins by like twenty points. I mean, it's Republican opposition there is non-existent. Uh, she's just not going to uh, to lose there. So she's in a very safe seat. Uh, and for some reason, she's been elevated to this high-profile situation. I always try to tell people that they need to calm down about her, you know, from the center and the center right. I'm, I'm always like, look, you just need to... First off, she's not bad at her job. So stop that right there. She may be putting out policies that you disagree with. That's fine. Uh, but she's not stupid. She is more than qualified. Uh, to be Congress, the only qualification is that you win your election. Everything else is moot. Uh, we've we've had people with no college degrees in Congress. We've had people who go to Princeton. Doesn't matter. A anybody who can win an election is allowed in Congress, and they are qualified immediately. As soon as they win election, they're qualified. That's just how it is. Sorry. that That's the only requirement. Um, but the issue I'm having today is the left is going after Biden. So, for example, Joe Biden has dogs. President Trump has no dogs. He has no, no pets at all, which is 
very strange, actually, for a president. Uh, prior to Trump, just about every president, at least in living memory, has had a pet. Um, this humanizes the person. And I'm sure that uh, if Trump were open to it and his political advisors could convince him, uh, having a dog and showing him caring for the animal, taking care of it, uh, uh, playing with it perhaps, uh, would help to humanize him in the eyes of constituents. So more often than not, these people have pets, and, and most of us have pets. I have a cat. Um, so it is a little odd when the President of the United States doesn't, and it was also a little odd when he reportedly has never had a pet, ever, his entire life. It seemed a little weird. Anyway, Biden has dogs. And one of the unique things about Biden's new pets, <coughs> or excuse me, the new pets going into the White House, <coughs> is they're not purebreds. They're shelter dogs. Apparently, this has never happened before. I didn't know this. Uh, but anyway, so some animal lovers out there, and especially people who, are, uh, who believe you should go to a shelter to get a pet, are huge fans of this. They think this is great. This is great advocacy for their cause. You know, hey, let's don't go to a pet shop. Don't go to a breeder. Uh, go to a shelter. Save save an animal's life, right? So this has been making the, the social rounds, and everybody, of course, is really happy about it. And it's it's a feel-good story. It's nothing. It's it's popcorn. It, it has nothing to do with anything. No politics at all. It's just a fun little happy story. Well, then comes the left. And the left can't just click like and move on. Or they can't just ignore the story altogether and go on. They have to. They are compelled to get in there and type, well, that's great. You know, there's going to be dogs in the White House again, but that's not going to stop Biden from drone striking innocent children in Syria. And it's like, okay, okay, man, I get it. Biden's not your first choice. He's not your second choice. He's not your third choice. Hell, if it was up to you, he wouldn't have been on the stage at all. I get it. But he's all, he hasn't even been president-elect for a full week yet. <clears throat> in fact, this didn't even wait until it was called. A lot of this started in uh, last Thursday and Friday. And it was just like, wait, what, what, what is going on? Uh, but the far left has always been very anti-Biden, no matter what. They're the only ones in the Democratic Party who give any credence to the uh, sniffing and, uh, you know, sexual inappropriate allegations, which multiple news outlets investigated, and there, there was nothing there. And even if there was something there, there's a huge credibility problem with the person making the allegations. The person making the allegation has changed their story multiple times. They have a history of lying everywhere. I mean, I hate to say this, but when it comes to making an accusation where it's your word against his, unfortunately, credibility matters in the system. If you have no physical evidence, if you don't have a dress hiding in a closet somewhere, it's really hard you know, and I think to be objective is to say, yes, at first, sure, we believe you. We'll, we'll take this seriously. I gave it due diligence. I waited for the story to develop. The story did develop into nothing, and then it went away. But the far left won't let it go. And even as soon as uh, this last weekend, there are some on the left who 
you know, they'll mention Trump. It's like, oh, it's going to be great to get a sexual predator out of the out of the White House. They're the type of people that go ahead and tack on. Oh, yeah, but we're just replacing him with another one. It's like, but no, that it's two different things. What what are you doing? And this is all just just stories. This is just how much there seems to be a complete disconnect. It's like, dude, you're, you're side one, right? I mean, there are some leftists out there who even think that a Trump victory would have been better than Biden. I mean, they're convinced it's either Bernie or, I mean, in some circles, even Bernie is now a sellout because he went along with Biden's nomination. And even Bernie himself is sitting there like, no, the, the goal is to get rid of Trump people. That's step one. You know, you can't just jump all the way over to step five. You, you've got to complete, you, you have to remove the cancer first, then worry about getting in shape. You know, it's, 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 it, to me, it's, it's boggling. It, 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 it's mind boggling. It's crazy. Cause I'm sitting here. I'm like, Hey, you guys just won. Take a victory lap. Like be happy. Or if you're going to have these kinds of disagreements, have them behind closed doors. I did the absolute hate and vitriol going towards Biden, who you wanted to win, is nuts to me. I, I don't get it. Um, but anyway, so Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, decided to pick a fight with a group called the Lincoln Project. Now, in case you don't know, the Lincoln Project is a group of former Republicans. Uh, they're known as the Never Trumpers. Uh, people like Rick Wilson, Stuart Stevens, uh, Charlie Sykes, uh, Tom Nichols. Anyway, these are were prominent members of the Republican Party, usually not congressmen themselves. They're usually the type of people who helped congressmen win their elections. <clears throat> so they know a thing about winning elections. And they stood on their principle and they said, no, this is ridiculous. We don't want Trump is our president. He does not represent anything that we believe in. He certainly isn't conservative. And, uh, you, you know, he just exemplifies all the worst impulses of being an American. So they've always been against him. So they formed this group called the Lincoln Project, which you can donate to and several people have. Uh, and and basically their, their whole goal was to go after, do the attack ads that the Democrats couldn't do. Like they understood Biden wanted to be completely on message. He was like, no, I'm not going to go negative. I'm going to be strictly, I want to heal the nation, right? That was the Biden campaign. That was Biden's message throughout the whole thing. Return to normalcy. Let's get back to normal, heal the nation, stop being so divisive, on and on. Well, obviously, if Biden came out the next day and decided to put out a massive attack ad against Ivanka for doing something ridiculous, it would look badly on Biden. <laughs> it's like, hey, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. You can't do that. Well, this is the beauty of American politics and also part of the sausage making is that independent groups can run whatever ads they want. So you have the Lincoln Project and they decide, you know what, we're not running for anything and we're not beholden to any party and we just really hate Trump and his entire family. So we're going to do that. So they go ahead and they make these attack ads um, and they're they're really good ads. You might have seen them. They're they're extremely clickbaity because um, they're very well made. Uh, in some cases, tear jerkers and everything else. Um, but 
but they, they really know what to do. And again, because they don't have to run it through a focus group or anything else, because they're not worried about offending anybody, the only person they want to offend, they've said, is Trump and the Trump family, because in their view, every second that Trump is railing against them is a second he's not focused on his own message against Biden. So that's that's their point. That's their thing. They want to create these really devastating ads specifically to attack the president, to get him to go crazy, <laughs> which is not difficult to do, unfortunately. <clears throat> but Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez comes out against them and says, these guys are grifters. You know, it didn't work because, you know, the Senate didn't flip and the House actually lost a few seats. You know, the Democrats lost seats in the House. They're still the majority, but they did not do well. And so she decides to attack groups like the Lincoln Project and also other Democrats within her own caucus who were advocating, you know, hey, we need to stop with defund the police and stop with, you know, climate change. We need to be more reasonable and centrist. And she just went off on a complete, you know, tirade. Uh, and here's the problem. Neither side is wrong and neither side is right. So AOC and the squad point out that uh, it, in certain races, uh, every time uh, a Democrat ran on, you know, Medicare for all, yes, they won. Whereas any time a Democrat ran against that message or was wishy-washy at best, they lost. And she is right. However, the center or the establishment Democrats can easily point out several other races in other places because America is huge and there were hundreds of house races running. You can kind of pick and choose whatever you want. And they can pick and choose, oh, well, here's some where somebody lost and here's where somebody else lost. And it does get to be uh, a bit of a pick your poison battle. You may like something. Someone else might like something. And you can throw numbers at each other back and forth to prove your point or to disprove the others. Uh, neither side is wrong. Uh, the thing that I think is that both sides need to ultimately come together and work this out. But there is this, this I, there has been this myth on the left that, you know, if we just get out the vote, if more people vote, we win. And for years, this has been backed by the fact that the Republican Party has been gainfully employed in uh, suppressing the vote. You know, every law they pass seems to disenfranchise a voter or make it harder for a particular group to vote. So the idea of, hey, more people vote, we win. And okay, sure. One little problem, though, and it's that that myth has kind of been blown up, was the 2020 election was historic. Okay, President Trump was not incorrect. He was not factually incorrect when he said that he received more votes than any incumbent president in the history of the United States. He did. He did. He got more votes than uh, Obama in 2012. He got more votes than Bush in 2004. He got more votes than uh, Clinton in 1996. This is just a fact. Trump received more votes than any incumbent president in the history of the United States. Except Joe Biden received more votes than anyone 
who's ever run for president in the history of the United States. Record numbers voted for both sides in all 50 states across the board per the left's idea that if more people vote, we win. If that myth were true, this would have been a complete domination. All 50 states would have gone for Biden. The Senate would have completely flipped. Mitch McConnell would be out on his ass right now. But that didn't happen. When the left rose up and said, oh no, we're coming to remove Trump, the right rose as well in response. It is almost crazy how accurate the statement, you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Hey, the left came out to vote. Well, so did the right. So apparently this law of physics now applies to voting in the United States. Yes, sure, you can get more people to vote. That doesn't mean they're going to vote the way you want. And the more people on the left who vote, the more people on the right are going to see that and be like, oh, that means I need to vote too. So throughout all of early voting, there was this assumption in the media, and even by me, uh, I was blind to this, that the majority of the people who were in those long lines were anti-Trump, anti-Republican voters. They had to be, right? They had to. Nobody wants to vote for Donald Trump, right? I mean, yeah, sure, you got the crazies. They're always the crazies. Uh, the, there are crazies on both sides. There, there's always that, that percentage of the country that always shows up for every election. That's why I always say, you know, there's a reason why politicians cater to the crazies, because crazy votes every time. Crazy always votes. But we all assumed those people waiting for eight, ten hours a day in those long lines, that every single one of them, oh yeah, they're there to vote Trump out. Well, turns out we were wrong. A lot of those people were there and just as ramped up to vote for Donald Trump as they were against. Now, I didn't anticipate that. I really didn't. I was sitting here like, this guy's always polled in the 40s, the low 40s, the entire his entire presidency. I wasn't expecting that. And I think we need to kind of wake up to that. Because the left's argument, the far left, when, sorry, when I mentioned the left, I mean, I mean the far left. But the left's argument for a long time has been, don't waste your time trying to convert the center or the center right to vote Democrat, which is the goal of people like the Lincoln Project or uh, ex-Republicans for Biden. You know, these, these these groups that spend time working on the center, working center, right? And also, this was kind of Biden's message was, I want to bring everyone together. I want to work from the center, uh, show everybody I'm not a big lefty boogeyman. You know, but but the left has always been, don't, don't convert the center to us. Instead, you need to convert the non-voter to a voter. Normally, I would agree. I mean, I always think, you know, the more voters, the, the better. Uh, for a healthy democracy. And if you can convert a non-voter to a voter, I'm all for it. But the left's idea that non-voters are secretly <laughs> going to come out and vote for 
Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I'm sorry, it's just not there. It's not, it's not an accurate view. There are places in the country where, I'm sorry, a, a pro-choice Democrat is just not going to win. Period. No matter how reasonable and rational and calm and awesome they sound, they're not going to win in certain districts. To constantly run leftist candidates in those districts is inviting failure. So I don't understand the constant fight. And this is the, this is the same for the far left. If you're not for Medicare for all, there are certain districts you're going to lose in. <laughs> there are certain districts who are like, oh no, please, yes, give me that socialism and plug it straight into my veins. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that a conservative is not going to win there. So I think both sides in this argument, the left versus the self, need to take a step back, breathe, uh, acknowledge, hey, we both won. Quit with the public fighting. You know, I know it has its place, uh, but be respectful of each other. Uh, I mean, I, I can't wait for some of these older individuals in the House and Senate to move on and let some new leadership in. Uh, but there's a way to do this. You know, you don't force them out the door by angry tweeting and arguing with them publicly. But that's just me. Mr. Conservative who likes liberal ideas. <laughs> so uh, hopefully they get their they get their act together um, because they're going to need to be unified to go up against this uh, this Senate majority potentially Senate majority. Uh, otherwise, absolutely nothing is going to get done for the next four years. So as far as news roundup goes uh, for today, I mean the big news, of course, is COVID. Uh, it is uncontrolled in at least forty-eight of the fifty states, according to the AP. Um, so, of course, uh, be safe, wash your hands, please wear a mask. Um, maybe think twice about Thanksgiving this year, uh, whether or not, especially if you need to travel. Uh, I mean, maybe going across the street's okay, but large travel, large gatherings, um, maybe not this year. Um, I mean, would you trade this year for potentially another 10 Thanksgivings with your folks? Because uh, that's that's... That's what you're thinking about. So I would highly urge everyone to just just give it a second thought. You don't, you know, just be be sure, be certain. You know. Uh, but other than that, the the big news going on lately has been the heads rolling in the Pentagon since Monday. So on Monday, the Secretary of Defense was fired by the president out of nowhere. This guy's name is uh, Mark Esper, and uh, he was replaced by a guy named Christopher Miller, whose only previous job has been four months in charge as the director of National Counterintelligence Center, which I didn't even know was a thing. So that's that's it. That's, that's his entire resume. Uh, four months in charge of this group that nobody knew existed to suddenly the Secretary of Defense, which is a pretty big post. Now, of course, <clears throat> this is abnormal because normally, uh, you, you know, the uh, 
for example, in our own politics, if something were to happen to the president, you would have the vice president, he would step up. The president couldn't say, I'm going to leave uh, Senator Mitch McConnell in charge. He can't do that, right? Normally, the vice president takes over. Well, Secretary of Defense has a deputy Secretary of Defense. And this person is Senate confirmed. The, even the deputy position is Senate confirmed. So you have this Senate confirmed individual who's second in charge of the Department of Defense already, already knows the job, already knows what's going on, uh, should more or less easily step into the role and take over. And normally you want that to happen because especially in a, in a situation, Department of Defense, you want somebody who knows what's going on to step into the role, who already knows the day-to-day -day operations. Chances are the deputy, deputy Secretary of Defense is in the same rooms having the same meetings as the Secretary of Defense. Yeah. So should be no up to speed, being brought up to speed on certain issues or anything, any threats, uh, anything coming down the pipe. Uh, but in this case, uh, this person has been bypassed for a non-Senate approved position guy named Christopher Miller. Uh, this, of course, creates issues because if there is something urgent coming down the pipe, now this person has to be informed. They have to be let into the loop. They have to be, no, you know, directed, hey, this was our plan. This is where we've been going with this this whole time. Uh, so that's concerning. Uh, but more to the point, you know, uh, Trump just lost re-election. Why is he firing his cabinet officials? You know, that's that's very strange. In the entire modern history of the presidency, uh, no one can recall a time where the lame duck president starts firing cabinet officials. It just, it just it's just never happened before. Um, so, of course, you, you start to worry about motives, uh, because unfortunately, it wasn't just the Secretary of Defense. It was the Under Secretary of Defense uh, for Policy, uh, Deputy uh, uh, James Anderson, was also fired on Tuesday. You know, the Defense Chief of Staff was fired also on Tuesday. I mean, just, just an entire hauling out of the leadership at the Department of Defense of its civilian players. And the people that are replacing them are all pro-Trump sycophants. They've all said very questioning things, uh, very questionable things about Hispanics, Muslims. Uh, they've all gone on Fox News and praised the president uh, for things he didn't do. Um, so it's it's very concerning, you know. Why are you replacing these career officials, these Senate-approved officials, with these now acting positions that probably are not going to be given a Senate hearing as far as uh, actually becoming Senate-approved themselves? You know, wh why are you doing this? Is it political spite? Are you angry with these people because? Mark Esper is one of the few people who spoke out against uh, the president's use of military force against protesting civilians. Uh, he, you know, said no to the president apparently in the Oval Office, and he has publicly said no, that won't happen as well. So, you know, the president definitely has some issues there. Uh, is it just as simple as Mark Esper pissed him off and he's out? You know, this is just petty spite. You know, they both will lose their job in two months, but you know what? I'm going to fire this guy now. Now, that that's not out of the realm of impossibility. Uh, Trump has done this before, where he's fired FBI agents uh, a few months 
prior to them being able to collect a, a retirement check just just because you know because that's that's who they are that's who he is he's just that kind of a person so it's not out of the realm of possibility where he's just like you know what all these people who don't like me screw them they're out that's totally possible with this guy uh, past his prologue so that's possible uh, another thing though is that on Monday just hours after Mark Esper was let go all of a sudden a Saudi Arabian arms deal for something like 50 billion dollars worth of military grade weapons was approved you know does does one have anything to do with the other was Mark Esper sitting there saying no I don't approve of this this arms sale so he was let go and this is entirely possible as well because Trump does live in a quid pro quo world. He wants very much for the Saudis to like him. He always has. Uh, Jared has a friendship with the Saudi prince. That's also very possible. I mean, it's 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 possible. That's one of the reasons I really dislike this president. Is like everything's on the table, and it's like I, I don't know if this is legit firing or not. And chances are it isn't, but that that's the world we live in. You know, is it, is it because, you know, they wanted to give more weapons to Saudi Arabia so they can murder more people in, uh, oh shoot, I forget the country, which is really sad. They're committing genocide over in the Middle East. I can't remember the country. Uh, it's, it's horrible. There's just so much else going on. Uh, another possibility is this, uh, Iran, you know, does Trump want to put extra sanctions on Iran because that was one of his big foreign policy, you know, victories and air quotes there was, Oh, I pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal and now I'm going to punish them, you know, cause yeah, it, reasons uh, I'm not entirely sure, but of course the career officials over in the DOD were cognizant of what is going on over in Iran and is like, no, you don't need to poke the bear right now. Leave them alone. <laughs> You know, especially just throwing sanctions on somebody, punishing another country for the sake of punishing them is a horrible foreign policy decision. You know, if you're going to impose sanctions or some kind of punishment on another country, there should be a reason, a clearly stated, defined reason. Hey, we are doing this because of this. And as soon as you stop doing this, we will stop doing this. I mean, it should be very clear and open to everybody what the hell is going on. And unfortunately, we don't know. Uh, another possibility that came up is this could be involving Afghanistan. Uh, reports say that Trump has had this very particular craw stuck <laughs> about Afghanistan and troop levels. And that for since his entire presidency, he just wants troops out of Afghanistan, period. And the military brass and the civilians in charge of the Department of Defense have been bucking him constantly on that since day one. They've been telling him, it's like, no, you can't, you can't just up and leave. Uh, you know, there has to be a specific plan, a drawdown. I mean, we're talking about billions of dollars million military equipment that is over there. We're talking about the logistics of moving thousands of soldiers out of there. And then the potential humanitarian consequences. The Taliban is not dead. The Taliban is just as strong as it was before we went there to begin with. 
So just up and picking up and leaving just means that the Taliban is going to begin tearing its own country apart again. Your best case scenario is the Taliban just sweeps in and takes power again. And that's it. Your worst case scenario is we leave and the Taliban and the newly formed Afghan government start fighting each other. And now you're in a situation where Afghanistan looks a hell of a lot like Syria, where it's just complete civil war chaos. And then, you know, what's the incoming president supposed to do with that? People don't want their troops, their, their sons and daughters sent over to the Middle East anymore. Right now, that's, that's, that's a very unpopular thing. Biden's not going to have any political support whatsoever to intervene in Afghanistan if that happens. His hands are going to be tied. Or at least you hope, because otherwise he's just unilaterally making a decision that would never get approved. So it's possible this all has something to do with Afghanistan and Trump just wants this to be a foreign policy legacy of his, of like I got the troops out kind of a deal. So he can proclaim he did something. And another possibility as to why this is going on is it's a cover up. It's a cover up. The new administration is coming in. They're going to have access to all the files, all the documents, all those you know, private conversations that Trump has had with Putin, they're recorded somewhere because every conversation the president has is recorded. They're recorded somewhere. They're going to be, they're going to be saved somewhere. They're going to be stored somewhere in a safe or in a computer file or somewhere. Is Trump removing the career intelligence people so that he can install Trump sycophants who will take all those documents to the shredder? Because he doesn't want even the possibility of Biden uncovering any wrongdoing. I mean, because Trump's already planning his way out. Okay, he's teasing the idea of running for twenty, running again in twenty twenty four. I think that's just a tease to keep his name in the in the in the news and in the Republican Party circles. I don't think he actually intends on running again, but. You know, he does want a life after the presidency. And there's already talk of him going ahead and creating his own TV network, Trump TV. Well, that's going to be really hard if every five seconds there's a new report of him sucking up to Putin or threatening the president of Ukraine. These are issues. He has to make sure that his name remains at least somewhat above board. So it could be a cover-up or attempted cover-up. That's kind of the problem. Usually when a high-profile individual like the Secretary of Defense is fired, uh, the president actually goes out in front of a podium and explains the decision. And then the rest of us are okay with it. Or we're not okay, but at least we know. right? People don't fear the known, they fear the unknown. And that's, that's kind of where we are right now. Were these people let go because of Afghanistan? Was it Saudi Arabia? Do they plan on going hardcore after Iran? Is this a cover-up? We don't know. So, and, and this is unprecedented. This has never happened before in the history of the United States. 
the president as a lame duck doesn't automatically go around firing everyone. And again, this, this could all be, he's just a petty asshole. And he doesn't like these people, and he's just letting them go. And, and that would actually be the most benign reason there is. That's actually the preferable outcome right here. It has nothing to do with policy. He's just an asshole. That's, that's what you're hoping for right now. That's the best case scenario, is your president is petty. That's horrible. That's a horrible position to be in. I hate that this guy's my president, if that's the way he's acting. But really, none of these are good. Did he fire him so he can sell weapons to a regime committing genocide? Did he fire them so he can punish a country just so he can say he did? Did he fire them so he could, you know, do a troop withdrawal that isn't recommended by any of the experts? Or did he fire him to cover up his activities as president? before the next regime gets in. I mean, take your pick, but honestly, the best one is, out of all those, is uh, the president's a petty asshole. He just didn't like these people, and he just decided to, you know, fire them, even though they're all going to be out of the job in two months. He just didn't want to have them there on his staff at the end. He wanted to just be able to say, ha ha, I fired you. That's the best case. <laughs> Because at least then you're not worried about, you know, weird, crazy-ass policy decisions. <sighs> but it it's something to keep an eye on because, again, he's, he's firing a specific individual. He's not firing the, like, cabinet official in charge of labor or health and human services. He's not firing Fauci. You know, we all thought that was going to happen. He'd try to make a move against Fauci and fire all the COVID people because I think in his heart of hearts he believes that COVID cost him the election. So you would think, okay, if he's being petty, he would fire those people. But no, he's firing Department of Defense people. That's a little more worrying. Why? What are you doing? And again, your best case scenario. It, president's an asshole. Congratulations, America. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. Anyway, keep an eye on that story. So in our final segment today, what I'd like to talk about is exercise. Okay, it's it's way more important than you think. And I know the obvious, right? When uh when COVID first started back in uh February, March twenty twenty, I uh <laughs> I stress ate like nobody's business. Like I couldn't stop myself. It was crazy. I put on ten pounds easy easy in like a week. I mean, it was bad. And it took a while, but I lost that weight and I lost a little more. Um, but right now I'm kind of going through the same thing where I'm, I'm sitting around a lot more and I'm just eating. And that's because the, the COVID things kind of spiking again. I, th I, I don't think I took advantage of, I guess, the good old days of the summer where it actually was drawing down and where I live. Up in the Pacific Northwest, we've been lucky. Uh, where it was spiking in other parts of the country, it was not here. And the numbers have been more or less somewhat reasonable. We've had a few close calls, but um, 
but for the most part, you know, it's, it's been rough. You know, you, you stay home. You, we haven't eaten out at a restaurant in months. We certainly haven't seen a movie in forever. I think the last movie we saw was, uh, uh, the Harley Quinn movie, uh, which we thought was excellent by the way. Um, not kid appropriate, so we haven't been able to buy it yet, but it, we thought that was great. Um, it, it was a fantastic movie. Loved it. Top top to bottom. It was a great movie. Uh, but we haven't seen anything since then. And we've been, we've been stuck at home. That's rough. So exercise has been uh, very important. Uh, for me and for my whole family. Uh, I mean, in the mornings, it's not much, but you know, before we let the kids watch TV, we're like, oh, you got to go walk around the block. Got to. It's, it's not much. Uh, I think a walk around our block is barely a quarter mile, but it, it's something. Uh, for me, when this all started, uh, we were in a fortunate position. You know, I was still working and, uh, we, you know, we were still getting our paychecks. Nothing was interrupted. And uh, we went ahead and I, I ordered a, a rowing machine. <laughs> One of those really cheap ones. Uh, and it's it's been here the whole time. It's been getting a lot more use lately, um, especially since I started this program. So I want my brain to work as best as it can. And, you know, there's still a little brain fog from everything, but we're working on that. You know, um, but... But exercise is important. Uh, it does get everything moving. And the thing that I've found out that's best about it is if I start my day with exercise, later on in that day, when I reach for the bag of chips or the cookies or whatever, there's a little extra weight on the scale, I guess, as far as moderation or just refusing that. Because I'll have that voice in your head that's that's whispering. It's like, hey, you just you spent all that time this morning exercising. You, you don't want to throw that out, do you? You know, and, and and that voice doesn't always win. You know, some days I still I still overeat, um, but it, it wins more often than it doesn't, and that's important. And anytime you can add just a little extra weight to that scale as far as, you know, pushing you in one direction that you should go in. Because we all know you don't really need those chips. You don't really need those cookies. Physically. Mentally. Whew, yeah. You, I get stress eating. Go for it. You need a cookie that badly, you eat the cookie. You know, if that's what keeps you sane, go for it. But uh, it really is important to you know, get that blood going, especially when you're locked indoors, uh, find something to do. Even if it's simple as like, I'm just going to pace the hallway for an hour or <laughs> for 15 minutes, go ahead, do it. Um, standing on one leg, even, uh, you know, work on your balance, stretch, just stretch. Don't, don't do yoga. Don't go crazy. Just, just every two hours or so, just get up and stretch, you know, just, just anything. Do five push-ups. Just five. Just five. Just do five. Um, and, and you'll be surprised after a while that it, it does get easier if you keep at it. Um, you do see improvements over time. It takes time. You, you have to imagine, you know, it took you how many years to gain that extra 20 pounds? You know, 
how many hours did you spend putting on that extra weight? I mean, if you think about it in those terms, if you're like, okay, I had to consume this many calories and I had to sit on my butt for this many hours. And now you're asking me to spend what half an hour a day working out. And it's, it's going to take time to reverse that. So be patient with yourself. Um, but exercise, even if you're not seeing gains, you know, just, just keep at it. I guarantee you it's, it's for the best. It'll make you feel better in the long run. And when we're all cooped up like this, it might be the only thing keeping you sane. And, uh, for the love of all that's holy, don't listen to or watch any politics or news while you're exercising. Calming music, if anything, uh, I'm doing this really crazy thing lately where I'm trying to be more mindful of everything. So I actually try to listen to nothing. I like exercising in complete and utter silence. And I just focus on my breathing and I try to keep my brain from daydreaming. I don't daydream. I try really hard not to daydream. I'm trying to focus, you know, feel your body moving, uh, feel the air going in and out of your lungs, you know, try to focus on what's going on, pay attention to all the little things. Um, just trying to be a little more mindful during that. That's me. If if you need an episode of Star Trek plan, you put that episode on. You know, you do whatever you need to do. But uh, for me, that's that's what I'm doing. But uh, definitely keep it as stress-free as possible. Okay. All right. You guys have a great day. We're still not getting any emails or uh, Twitter contacts. Again, uh, my email is recoveryfrompolitics at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you. And uh, Twitter, I'm uh, recoveryfrompolitics at politics underscore from F-O-R-F-R-O-M. Excuse me. And uh, if you guys want to reach out, that'd be great. Other than that, I uh, hopefully will see you guys tomorrow. And never forget, no matter how big of a problem is going on in your life, alcohol can always make it worse. Have a good day, guys. Bye.